Welcome to Success Quest. Become your best self and join the revolution to success. I'm Jacob Harmon, and today we're going to have another amazing interview. This interview is all about becoming a better interviewee and also a better public speaker. So if you've ever wanted to be better at job interviewing or public speaking, this is definitely the podcast for you. And we're just going to jump right into it. I am super excited to have Marco Yim with me today, and he is an expert when it comes to interviewing skills, resume building, basically anything to get a job. And we'll talk a little bit about that more later on in the interview. But how are you doing today, Marco? I'm doing very, very well. It's been a little bit of a crazy week, but I'm so <laughs> excited to be chatting with you as well. I know we've been you know, talking on and off on LinkedIn for a while, so it's great mm-hmm. to finally be on your show and to talk a little bit more about the things that I'm so excited about all the time. Yeah, it has been a while. I, I, I remember I reached out maybe like a month or so ago and you've been incredibly busy, which is understandable. So I'm glad we were able to finally find a time that we could get together and talk. So before we get into kind of the the interviewing skills and job seeking and that kind of information, let's talk a little bit about you, Marco, and kind of your story. How did you get where you are today? Yeah, absolutely. You know, when I was growing up, I was one of those kids that, that, really aspired to just be a professional. And uh-huh. my Asian parents felt very strongly about that. So after a lot of consideration, I decided I was going to do legal studies as part of my undergraduate degree. And I was so set on being a lawyer for so many years throughout undergrad. And then I finally got to a place in my last year of studies and I said, you know what, I don't think that's the lifestyle that I was looking for. It wasn't going to give me the balance that I wanted. It wasn't going to challenge me. And so I was really soul searching for a really long time. Mm -hmm. Thankfully, I did internships and co-ops throughout uh, my, my undergraduate career. And one of my previous employers said, come work for me while you figure it out. And so I actually started my career as a technical writer for about two years. And as much fun as that was and as great as it was for me to build my foundation and how to communicate and how to really frame conversations so that everybody can understand me, I felt like staring Mm -hmm. at the same document got a little bit old really, really quickly. (laughs) Uh, And so I decided to change careers and I actually started working in SaaS-based companies and customer success. Okay. And I... I'm still doing that actually now full time. And all throughout that, I actually started my own company called Extempra, which is a company dedicated to helping young professionals learn how to speak with confidence and credibility in the workplace, whether they're at an interview or they need to give presentations in the boardroom, or maybe they're a young manager and they need to learn how to give effective feedback to their to their team. Mm-hmm. So that's always been a passion project of mine. And so I, I do that on the side as well. Wow. So it sounds like you've kind of jumped around a lot, which is awesome. I think that there's a lot of value in that. And you've given us a lot to to work with here. So let's kind of dig into a little bit of, of the stuff you talked about. And I'm I'm really interested in this idea of being a professional, right? And you mentioned that that's something that your parents really, really wanted out of you. And I don't know a whole lot about Asian culture. I haven't had a whole lot of exposure to it. How did you navigate that expectation of your parents and also the desire to find your own path? 
Yeah, when I was in high school, it was a given that I would take all of the sciences, all of the math, mm-hmm. and if I had room, that I would do some electives that were a true passion of mine. And I used huh. my last elective in in studying the law. I loved sciences. I loved biology. I loved chemistry, but I didn't see myself in that industry. I didn't want to do research. I didn't want to be a doctor or a pharmacist. (laughs) And so I thought, what is the closest thing that, or the next best thing that my parents would approve of? And I really got to that point where my mom and I came to that consensus. Um, Eventually, as I got more and more confident in what it is that I was hoping to get out of my profession, it became very evident that my parents started to understand and having a really frank conversation with them about what it is that I want. I wanted work-life balance. I didn't want to live a life where I was always battling with somebody else on the other side. It just wasn't a good fit for me. And I have tons of friends in my cohort that ended up being lawyers and have enjoyed every part of it. It just wasn't for me. Mm -hmm. And I think after enough time and having a a frank conversation with with my mother, she understood. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's super cool. And I'm really fascinated in this idea. I've been thinking a lot about it, that everything we do in life isn't wasted. You know, any time that we spend doing something, we're learning, right? And I'm just thinking, being a lawyer, you have to have some really good speaking skills. Like, you have to really be able to stand in front of a room and be able to talk to people. Do you feel like even though that's not the path you decided to go on, was was that a good experience for you to have? Absolutely. My training in understanding the law and studying the law and building really good arguments mm-hmm. was so, so important to the way that I tackle problems today and the way that I solve problems today. I think, you know, when I talk to my team members and their one-on-ones, I always say every single experience that you have, no matter how big or how small it is, it's a milestone. It's an opportunity to continue honing your skills. My resume from top to bottom is so disjointed. It's all over the place, right? But you can find that common thread of communications. You can find that common thread of dealing with end customers and making sure that they understand my message. Those things all contribute, whether that's tech writing, whether that was teaching or facilitating, Mm -hmm. or even my work now with customers, they all relate in, in some way, shape or form. Wow. That's so cool. And I think sometimes in the business world, we get into this this mindset of where we have to be something and we have to be that person consistently so that we're building a resume or a brand. And I think that that's important. But at the same time, there's not a lot of diverse experiences that you can get. And if you branch out, there's a lot more experiences available too, which is super cool. Yeah. I think you know nowadays more than anything, young people are encouraged to try different things. And we do move around a little bit more than maybe our, uh, our parents did. And that's okay so long as you're able to tell that narrative and to paint a really good picture as to why mm-hmm. you're still a good fit for a job if you were applying to, to, to something, right? Yeah. Transitioning is not necessarily uh, a bad thing so long as you can say how your collective experiences still make you a really good fit for the job, if not better, because you bring different perspectives and a different lens to uh, the job. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's super fascinating to me. So you don't want to be disjointed. You don't want to be 
seem like you you're easily distracted, but you also want to have a variety of experience. So there is a balance there for sure. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And so, oh, sorry, go ahead. No, no, I was just gonna say that, that that's exactly how I feel about it too. <laughs> Great, great. And so you you also, the kind of the next step of your career was into um, a SaaS company. And for those listeners who may not know what a SaaS company is, that's software as a service. It's usually a software company that's selling licenses or sometimes subscriptions, probably more often subscriptions nowadays. And you're working as a customer success rep. What exactly do you do in customer success? Yeah, customer success is a fairly new industry, I would say. And they're really owning the entire customer experience from beginning to end. When I first started in, in customer success, I owned a book of business. So, you know, X number of clients. And we were responsible for meeting with them, understanding what their goals are, helping them with their implementation so that we can get our service or product in their organization. And then continually nurturing that relationship mm-hmm. and eventually getting to a point where they're opting more of our products and services and growing with us as a, as a partner. Uh, and so I've had a lot of opportunities to work with some really cool companies and really have challenged myself to be that much more strategic because you're really an ally to your clients. Uh, and as I continue to grow mm-hmm. in my kind of profession as a customer success professional, I started moving towards other models of business as well. So I started in SaaS and now I work for a direct-to-consumer company and it's bringing a completely new world to to my eyes. Uh, But again, much like what I said before, all the learnings that I've had in my previous world in SaaS, there's so many transferable skills in in a direct-to-consumer company as well. Mm -hmm. So when you talk about customer success, it seems like I mean, you mentioned that you're like the ally of the customer, right? Which is interesting because you're working for the company and obviously the company's goal is to make money. But as a customer success uh, agent or a representative, is, is your job more about helping the customer and making sure that they're happy than, than actually making money for the company? Or is there a good balance of both? You know, I think it depends on the company. There are definitely some companies that... Uh-huh put revenue quotas on their customer success professionals or managers for the almost like a sales rep at that point (laughs) yeah and luckily for me a lot of the companies that i work for didn't have that same model uh because for me growth happens organically when i can be a trusted advisor Mm -hmm. to my clients if i can tell somebody no no you don't need to buy more products from me to do x when I do tell them they need new products for a future project, they're much more likely to trust me and to actually just dive right. at first. And that type of organic growth to me is more important. It's more valuable because that's how you can nurture long-term relations. Yeah, I, I completely agree. In, in my business experience, I think just being a good person is one of the best things you can do for your business. Really being out there to help people and if you're genuinely trying to help people, then business will come back to you for sure. Exactly. Cool. Cool. All right. Well, let's transition into more learning about communication. I mean, that's your expertise, learning to communicate confidently, credibly. What are some of your tips? I mean, let's, let's be your students. What can we learn from you? Yeah. Let me start at a really high level, right? I think when, okay customers or clients first come to me, 
they have a laundry list of things that they want to improve. <laughs> and that's inherent in the way that we think about communications. And we think about public speaking, right? We'll say, oh, well, I fidget with my hands and I use filler words and I stutter a lot. Mm-hmm. And we focus on those types of issues or growth areas. And what I like to do a lot of the times is actually shift the conversation to say, okay, but what are you really, really good at? Maybe we start there because mm-hmm. if you can take the strengths that you have and learn how to amplify that and learn how to adapt that to different scenarios, that's actually what people are going to remember you by, not by those incremental improvements mm-hmm. that you make right off the hop. So I would first say, do a deep dive analysis of what are, some, what are your actual strengths as a speaker and maybe think about how you can improve those first. Okay. Another really big thing that I would encourage people to think about is to not subscribe wholeheartedly to what we see as the the common kind of faux pas of public speaking or communications. A good example of that would be filler words. We think of it as a cardinal sin almost when Mm -hmm. we have filler words. But there's actually a ton of research suggests the complete opposite, that there's an acceptable level of filler words that we can use, that it's actually great for helping our audience members process information in a more systematic Mm. way. So I would really challenge a lot of different assumptions that we have and, you know, doing some deeper dive into what does the research actually say? I think that's really, really important. And finally, I would say, don't just subscribe to this idea of, oh, you know what, TED Talk speakers are the the, the golden standard. <laughs> Not every single person is going to be super theatrical as a speaker. I'm fairly theatrical myself, but that doesn't necessarily mean that it lends well to every single person's speaking style. Mm-hmm. If you are somebody that is very informative as a speaker, then double down on that. Use more facts, use more downtones, and you can actually be just as impactful as somebody who maybe has more vocal dexterity and range than than somebody else that you've seen. Super interesting. So going back to the filler words real quick, mm-hmm. we usually edit at least the majority of the ums out of our podcast. Should we reconsider that? I think there's a, there's a tipping point before it gets more distracting than it is impactful, right? Mm-hmm. The research suggests that after 1.28 filler words per 100 words, that's when your audience starts to really lock into the filler words that you use subsequently. Mm-hmm. So I would say, take a look and see how often are they being used? Where are they actually being used? Does it actually impact the end audience's ability to comprehend my message? And if okay. the, you can't definitively say, yep, you know what, that's going to be distracting, then maybe it's actually more authentic and more natural mm-hmm. for, for it to be part of that conversation because you and I are really just having a conversation right now, right? Right. And, and I can see how maybe the audience or the listener might actually be able to relate more because it sounds more human and more natural. So that actually makes a lot of sense to me. Yeah, no, absolutely. And if it is something that is more of a problem for anyone that's listening, there are some really concrete ways to tackle filler words as well. A good example of that is actually moderating pace. There was some really great research out of the University of Columbia, I believe, and they did some really cool studies with where they had a professor speaking without any 
distractions or any kind of interventions. And then somebody else that had a metronome speaking in the background. Mm. And they realized that the person speaking with a metronome actually used fewer filler words because they were moderating their pace more organically than somebody who just was able to talk freely. So pace is really important. And also getting immediate feedback. Uh, the more immediate the feedback and the more distinct. So you used five filler words and they were all ums. Mm-hmm. That actually decreased filler words by up to 33%. So Just because there's you're a lot of really cool. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. Yeah. So, you know, lots of really great tips out there. Uh, do some Google search, do some research on studies out there. Be informed. I think that's the most important thing if you're trying to enhance your public speaking skills. At least that's the first step. Yeah. I mean, I, I can definitely uh, vouch for the being aware of what's going on. We recently had our, our first uh, event for Success Quest and we recorded it. And going back and watching myself speak, I was so embarrassed because I started to notice things that I do that I didn't even know that I did. Um, pacing back and forth. Uh, I kept putting my hands in my pockets, which drove me crazy. Just little things like that that I didn't even know that I was doing until I got to watch it again. So I think recording yourself can probably help too, right? 1000%. I always encourage recording yourself to best understand what your little quirks are because we all have them and they <laughs> naturally start to creep up when you're just a little bit nervous. And depending on what your quirks are, then you can start tackling them one by one. If pacing is an issue, for example, try putting a little newspaper underneath you when you're practicing speaking because the more rustling that you hear, the more you're actually realizing that maybe you're pacing. And that's a really good mental break for you to be like, oh, I'm hearing those sounds. Maybe I'm pacing too much. So, uh-huh. you know, little things like that can actually make a huge difference. That's super cool. I I mean, I wish we could talk about talking skills and speaking skills for hours because right <laughs> maybe maybe I need to be one of your clients because I would love to become a better speaker and my goodness, just just in these 15 minutes or so. I've, I've already learned so much. (laughs) Unfortunately, we don't have forever though. Um, This episode of success quest is sponsored by audible audible. Like you've already heard us talk about is an amazing audiobook company. It allows you to listen to just about any book on just about any topic. If you want to learn something new, Audible is one of the best ways to do that because you can learn while you're on the go. I'm still reading a book called Indistractable by Nir Eyal, and I definitely recommend that book to you. To sign up for Audible, just go to mysuccessquest.com slash audible, and you'll get a free audiobook and two free Audible originals. After that, it's just $14.95 a month, and you'll get an audiobook and two Audible originals every single month after that. Thank you so much to Audible for sponsoring Success Quest. So let's move on a little bit to um, interviewing skills. What's different between public speaking and interviewing? And what are some things we should consider? You know, there's actually a lot of parallelisms between public speaking and interview skills. And that's why I actually Mm -hmm. started slowly transitioning because Public speaking is important and it's great, but it's not relevant to to everyone that I talk to. We can all relate Mm -hmm. to the idea of job searchers, uh, job searching skills, I should say. So there there isn't a whole lot of difference, but I would say that there are certain things that you absolutely need to think more about. We talk a lot about structure when you're creating a speech. 
that's equally, if not more important when you're thinking about uh, answering interview questions, right? Because our job as the candidate is to make sure that we're making the interviewer's job as easy as possible. If I'm writing down notes and I ask you a question, what are your strengths? I should be able to write one, two, three as an interviewer, what your strengths are. And if Hmm. you can't deliver on that, then you failed as a candidate. Yeah. And especially for those more common interview questions, like almost always they're going to ask you what's your strengths or what's your weaknesses. I mean, these are kind of the cliche interview questions, right? You should always be prepared for those, I'm assuming. Absolutely. Those are the ones that you can count on because, you know, all managers have been asked those questions before when they're preparing for interviews. They're more likely to also ask those types of questions. Mm -hmm. I like to think of interviews as break down into five major types of questions. You have the generic about you questions that tell me about yourself. What are your greatest strengths? Uh, You have your situational or behavioral questions. Tell me about a time when you had to X. You're going to have more technical questions. um, So maybe more about your skill set, the tools that you know how to use, how you set something up. You're going to have the fourth type, which are negative reframe questions. So they're really challenging you to think about a negative question and how you turn that negative into a positive. What's your greatest weakness? Tell me about a time when you had to deal with a difficult customer and how did you solve that problem? Uh, And then the final one is what I call extemporaneous questions. They're just questions that are right out of left field so that they can test the way that you think on your feet and how you can really approach problems. And if you Mm -hmm. can figure out a formula for all five of those types of questions, then you're actually setting yourself for success because you can grill yourself on common questions. But if you don't find the common thread on how you're using stories to back up those five types of questions, then it becomes a lot more difficult as a candidate to really sell yourself in the moment. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit more about the extemporaneous questions because those are the ones, I mean, I interviewed, it was a little while ago now, but I interviewed for a job and I got a few questions where I I had no idea what to say. Mm -hmm. They were completely out of left field. What, I mean, what are some tips of thinking on the spot, trying to come up with something that doesn't make you sound dumb? I mean, what what do you do with those types of questions? Yeah, I think the common response or the common reaction that we have is either A, you're pulling a blank, or you're worrying too much about what that response should be. Mm. You need to remember that these questions are meant to test how calmly you can react under pressure. Mm. So my recommendation usually is, what's the first thought that comes to mind? That's a good starting point. You only have like five, 10 seconds to prepare. So use that one point to start. From there, what's a good example that backs that up? Why did you think about that first point? And then reinforce the fact and then create a good structure around that. So a good structure that you can use is what I call the PEP model, a point, example, point. So you have that one example or one point that you already have, explain it, give me that example, and then reinforce that message as to why you came up with that. Now, if for whatever reason you're like, oh no, I really can't think of anything, that's okay too. What I would say is explain to the interviewer that that was a tough question, you weren't really sure what the final answer should be, but here are the steps that you took to think about it or to approach it. And the attempt itself is almost more important to me as an interviewer. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's what I would recommend is, Use one thought and blossom it into a larger answer. Don't overthink. And if you can't, then 
come up with steps as to how you approach that question. Very interesting. And I, I guess one of the most important things is to just be calm, right? Show that you can handle the mm-hmm. pressure because that's the whole purpose. Mm-hmm. Very cool. Okay. And similar to interviewing is preparing a resume and making yourself look professional. And one of the the reason I actually originally reached out to you about being on the show was because you posted a really cool LinkedIn video where you were actually taking someone's resume and going through it point by point and giving advice on, on writing a resume. And it was incredible advice. So what are your what are your tips for resumes? What are some things we should think about when we're making a resume? Yeah, I think when you think about resumes, there are two major pieces that you need to consider. The first is formatting and the way that it looks. If you're applying for larger companies and they're using some sort of automated filtering system, then it's really important to keep your formatting extremely simple. Uh, if you're applying to startups and you are pretty sure that you know somebody on the team is just going to read your resume and then reach out, then you can take some more liberties with creative formatting with colors, with lines, and all that kind of jazz. Another really important note when it comes to formatting is thinking about consistency. Are your dates all uh, the same format? Are they all aligned? Um, Are your bullet points aligned with your text? So thinking a lot about how everything is consistent and is easy to read is really, really important from a formatting perspective. Mm -hmm. The second big bucket that you need to think about, obviously, is the content itself. 90% of the time with resume reviews, the immediate thing that stands out to me is somebody doesn't give me enough details about what it is that they actually did. Telling me that you you know, led an event isn't good enough. Mm -hmm. What did you do to lead that event or plan that event? Uh, Likewise, what are some stats or metrics that you can use to sprinkle throughout your resume so that I can show, so I can see that not only did you do something, but that you had measurable results and that you know what measures of success are for that particular job or task. Mm -hmm. Um, The other thing, and the last thing I'll I'll talk about before (laughs) you can, you can ask more questions is. No, you're good is thinking a little bit about your niche. So it's easy for me to say I conduct training for individuals, right? But thinking more and diving deeper, did I do training for large groups of people or Mm -hmm. did I do training for smaller groups of people? Because those are very distinct skill sets, even though training is kind of the, the umbrella skill that you have. And the reason I say that that's important is because then you're differentiating yourself and that is mm-hmm. your brand. And it might be more relevant to the job that you're applying for. And if not, then you have an opportunity to explain why those skills are transferable. So think a lot about drilling down even deeper than maybe what you have on your resume already. That, that is another big thing that I work with a lot of people uh-huh. And something that I've heard a lot in, in resumes and job applications is being specific for the job you're applying for. Do you recommend that we don't have one resume that we send to everyone, but that we actually alter the resume for each job? 1,000%. Uh, it's so, so, so important to customize uh, your resume based on the keywords or based on the lingo that the industry uses. You can have one experience and still modify it to uh, those different audiences. I, I was at a juncture in my career where I was deciding if I wanted to stay in customer success or if I wanted to move into training full time. And, you know, mm-hmm. it's softening up some of those languages, the language that you're using um, and, and making sure that, you know, 
there's certain lingo that that's applicable to, to customer success that won't be applicable to an education field and just changing uh, little words here and there to make it feel more customized and personalized. Mm-hmm. So would you just have, I mean, would you recommend just having one master resume and then each time you're applying for a job, take the important pieces out of it and create like another document? That's basically what I do. I have a, a master resume okay. and I work with a lot of customers to like think a lot about, you know, what's, what are all of the individual tasks that you've done at any given opportunity or job that you've had? Um, and then, as you said, pulling the right bullet points. So that's kind of the first layer of customization. And then that second customization is then taking, you know, as I said, that relevant lingo and, and plugging it into the right places, okay. uh, ordering the points within that experience. Because if you have three bullet points, what's most relevant? put that up first. So thinking mm-hmm. about little things like that can actually make a huge difference to the readability of your resume. Okay, super cool. That that makes perfect sense to me. Um, well, we don't have a whole lot of time left, but um, is there anything else that we haven't talked about so far in this interview or any other tips that you'd like to share with our audience? Uh, yeah, I think, you know, it's really, really important to know yourself intimately and when you're thinking about job searching or public speaking or communications Mm. and relying on what you know about yourself and just have confidence to portray that and say things with certainty and give yourself enough credit Um, it's really easy to fall into that well i helped a couple people out to do these things but no you're actually wholeheartedly a part of that and if you Uh have to say that you work with a team of three other people that's okay so you know being really confident in in your what you have to offer and framing it as such is so 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 important so Mm -hmm. give yourself credit and be confident when you walk into any interview prep uh, or interview scenario okay that's Wonderful advice. Thank you so much. And if people want to connect with you or maybe reach out to you because they have an upcoming job interview or want to learn how to speak better, what's the best way they can get a hold of you? Yeah, they can reach me on LinkedIn, Marco Yim, uh, or you can email me, Marco, M-A-R-C-O, at extempra, E-X-T-E-M-P-R-A dot com. And shoot me a message. I'd be happy to chat anytime. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Marco. I'll make sure and put all that in the show notes too. So if you guys just want to go click on a link, you can do that. And thank you. I think, I mean, I've learned a lot. So I, I, I think you gave some incredible information here. Thank you so much. Thanks so much for having me. It was so much fun. <laughs> of course. Thank you again. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Success Quest. I'm just going to invite you to do one thing this week, and that is to visit our support page on our website. It's mysuccessquest.com slash support. If you like this podcast, if you've learned anything, if you've gained anything from it, then if you go to this page, it will tell you all the different ways you can support us. One of the biggest ways is just by sharing the podcast, right? Share it with a friend or a family member, but there's also opportunities there where you can directly support me and Caleb. So anyways, thank you so much for everything you guys do. Thanks for listening and have a successful day.